this week as uh, some of you watched the uh, funeral of Billy Graham and the passing of Billy Graham, I just had this thought, you know, there's somebody that's way more interested in this reunion than Billy Graham, although he was longing for it, you know he must have been, and that's Christ, because Christ's love is absolutely perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Nothing he won't do to be with his children. I've got eight kids. Can you believe that? Just makes me tired saying it. And uh, 15 uh, grandkids, one more on the way that my daughter-in-law Patience is carrying right now. And uh, my grandkids are 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1. Maybe another one and one more on the way. And uh, I want to tell you something. I know they love to come home, but there's somebody that loves that more than they do. And I think we don't comprehend how massively the Lord loves us and longs for us to walk in union and fellowship and intimacy with him. He's grieved when that doesn't happen, uh, not only just uh, for our sake and what we're missing, but for his sake. I mean, can you imagine creating a creature fearfully and wonderfully made, being so intent upon that creature that you sent your only begotten son to die so that they could be reunited with you, and yet those sons and daughters go days and weeks and never talk to you. Or they, uh, they don't think that they can have a real personal relationship with you. You know, I was reading A.W. Tozer on the plane coming over here, and he said, you know, the amazing thing about God is God has personality in the way that we think of personality. He thinks, he hears, he sees, the Bible says. Uh, he, we can know him. But so many people... Uh, their relationship with God is just a formal thing. I've believed some facts. I believe those facts are true. And so I, I have Christ as my Savior. But there's no living, breathing, personal intimacy with Christ. Now, if, if, I, if I could tell you that behind that door, if you'll let this illustrate this, there was a... Uh, there was a million dollars with your name on it. Would you go through that door? Come on, be honest. Just raise your hand, all right? Don't act spiritual on me right here, okay? <laughs> of course, you'd run through that door. You might trample somebody going through that door. If I told you that there was a, a deed to your dream home behind that door, uh, would you go? Ladies, would you go, right? Or there was a brand new car. I'm starting to sound like a TV guy. There's a brand new car right behind that door. With your name on it, you'd go, right? If I told you that all of the wisdom that you would ever need for the rest of your life to make any decision that you were going to face and make that decision perfectly was behind that door, would you go? Of course you would. All of the love to love anybody, even people that are hard to love, to forgive anybody was behind that door, would you go? 
all the knowledge, all the understanding, all the provision that you need. But let's just let that door represent the entrance to the presence of the Lord. Because everything flows from the presence of the Lord. Everything. Everything. I want to tell you something. The older I get, <laughs> the more this becomes so real to me. That if, you, if you're not experiencing the presence of Christ, you don't have anything that matters and lasts. You may even be a Christian. You may be a, name the name of Christ. But to go days and weeks and not have intimacy with Christ, you're missing what God intended you to have. It's your birthright to have. And God knows that that intimacy, that personal walking and talking with Christ on a real basis is what gives you access to his love, his life, his provision, his wisdom. Everything flows from the presence of the Lord. And when you have him, you have everything. If you're not experiencing him, you have nothing that matters and lasts. Right? So we desperately need the presence of the Lord. Every great, every great Christian in the Bible understood this. Right? I mean, Moses said, Lord, he's leading you know, one to three million Jews. They were grumbling all the way, headed to the promised land. And uh, they did something dumb. And the Lord said, okay, I'm kind of done with this. And, and Moses said, Lord, we, I, I, we don't want to go up unless you go with us. Lord, we need your presence. David said, in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. We need his presence because everything flows from the presence of the Lord. So uh, I need that in my life personally. We need that corporately in our church, right? I mean, I, I pastor a wonderful church in, in uh, Little Rock that we started about 20 years ago. Uh, it's the joy of my life. And I want to tell you something. Uh, the big question that we are constantly asking after any worship gathering like this or any small group or any uh, equipping class or whatever it is, is this question, was God there? Was God there? Without that, it's a nice meeting. I enjoyed the fellowship. It's good to see friends. I learned some things. But when God comes in his manifest, and that word means visible, recognizable presence, Everything changes. People's lives can change. I've had meetings in which the Lord came and I was seated there and God changed the trajectory of my life in five minutes because he was there and he spoke to me and I heard his voice and he, and he called me, and he challenged me and he, he led me on a new path. And that's what God loves to do. And, and we can have a nice church and, 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 and we have a nice building in Little Rock and all of that. But it's just meaningless if the presence of God is not there, right? Because everything flows from the presence of the Lord. Now, if that's true, then it would mean that if I want what matters and lasts and what's most important in this life... I need to find out how do I enter in to experience the presence of Christ individually, corporately as a church, and how desperately need, we need his presence as a nation. So I want you to take your Bibles and look with me at a passage 
that, that gives us some insight on that in Luke chapter 10. You know this passage, I'm sure. Luke 10, the last few verses of Luke 10, verse 38. And Jesus had uh, gone to a little village. It's about five miles from, from Jerusalem. It's kind of all a part of Jerusalem now. And there were some people that he loved there, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And the Bible says, as they were traveling along, verse 38, he entered a village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations. And she came up to to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord... Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I just want you to notice with me two or three things this morning. As we prepare to enter in this week in fresh ways, I pray, to the presence of Christ, both personally and as a group of people as his church together. First of all, notice with me that intimacy is often lost through the lure of many good things, right? I mean, here's Martha, and and Jesus, uh, as the Bible writer describes it, it says Martha was distracted. That's a a word that when you study it means she was just pulled away. It, It means that she had her attention in one direction, but some things or something had happened, and she just gradually, she probably didn't even know she was doing it, right? We usually don't. She she just got kind of pulled away from this important thing, the necessary thing. She was drawn away from intimacy with Jesus Christ. Now the Bible constantly talks about this. Paul said, I'm I'm afraid that someone would pull you away from simple, pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he comes and speaks to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the Revelation of John, uh, the first thing he says to Ephesus is he said, look, you're doctrinally sound, you're crossing every T, dotting every I. I mean, things are looking good in your life, but I've just got one thing against you. You don't, you don't love me anymore. You just don't love me. I mean, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be tragic? I mean, if, if you came home one day uh, from work and you walked into your house and your wife met you there and she said, honey, I've thought about something. I I, uh, I'm your wife, I've made a vow, I'm going to live with you the rest of my life, and I'm going to cook and clean and work and serve alongside of you, uh, and all of that, I'll do all those things, but I just, I just, you just need to know I don't love you. I'm just not going to love you anymore. Oh my goodness, nothing could be more heart-wrenching. And Jesus says, look, you're doing all these things, but something has distracted you. Something has pulled you away from the desire to be with me, to talk to me, to listen to me, to follow me. 
and to pursue me with all your heart. You remember that time when you came to me and you said, Lord, I want you as my Savior and my Lord, and I want to follow you. And you were just red hot in that passion for Christ. But somehow along the way, things pull us away and they just do. I mean, there are a lot of things that can do this. Sin can do this, right? I mean, it can create a separation between us and our God. And somehow, you know, we have these enemies, the world and the flesh and the devil. And this, these threefold enemies, they're pretty powerful. And they're constantly just trying to lure us away from intimacy with Christ because he knows that everything flows from the presence of the Lord. And if someone is walking in intimacy with Christ, there's an incredible power on that person's life. And so his great desire is not sometimes to get you doing some terrible things, just getting distracted by a lot of little things. You know, this little sin, this is more valuable. You know, spending time in front of the television set is more valuable than spending time communing with Christ, for instance. That's just, it's not a big thing, you know, you think. But it just pulls us away. Sin pulls us away. Sometimes it's just busyness, right? I mean, I remember Ian Thomas, I heard him years ago say, beware the barrenness of a busy life. What a statement. Sometimes it's religious activity, you know. I mean, I'm a pastor. I know how to do all this stuff. I'm spiritually house trained. I know how to sit up, roll over, play dead, take the offering. I mean, I can do it all, right? I mean, I've done... I've done everything in in 50 years of serving on church staffs. But the problem is, if all that is just religious activity, Paul was the one who said, you know, one day you you can build a whole house and it's just wood, hay, and stubble. And it just burns up. There's no value, no benefit one day in the kingdom of God. Now, wouldn't that be the most tragic thing in the world? To come to the end of your life and stand before God and said, well, you know, so much of that just amounted to nothing. But it's possible. I mean, Paul even said in 1 Corinthians 13, didn't he? If I, if I prophesy and have faith and can move mountains, but the love of God is not in me and consuming me and flowing through me. This God quality that always responds in self-sacrifice All that I do is nothing. All that I receive is nothing. And uh, I'm just a clanging gong and a cymbal. So this is pretty important, isn't it? I mean, it it, it is really possible to, to pull away and be distracted from the and the presence of Christ. You say, well, well, how do I know if I'm distracted or not? You know, because we kind of get in a pattern and we're doing our deal and we don't really know that we've, we've drifted away from the Lord. Well, here's some, here's some uh, let me give you a little test. This is a distraction test. Are you ready? Uh, it's, it's, found in, it's found in Mary, in, in Martha's life. Are you worried about anything? <laughs> oh, Mayor. Amen or oh me, right? Are are you worried? Jesus looked at Martha and said, Martha, you are worried. Now this is a sign that fear has crept in to my life. And fear is the opposite of faith, right? I mean, when I'm walking with Jesus in his presence, 
that he, he overcomes that fear. I, I walk in faith and I become worried. Are you uh, frustrated? Martha, he said, you are worried and bothered. Just bugged, you know, just, ah, you know. May, it may be sometimes in my life, it's no, I can't put, seem to put my finger on anything, but I just, things are just, you know, nothing's right. Just doesn't feel right. I'm just frustrated. And when that happens in my life, it comes out towards my kids and towards my wife and towards other people. I feel like things are an intrusion to my life. You know, frustrated. It's a sign that I've, 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 I've walked away from simple, pure intimacy with Jesus Christ, who, by the way, was just never frustrated. He was burdened. He was grieved. They never got frustrated. He was never fearful. And frustration really is just a sign in my life that I've lost perspective, that I'm not seeing things properly. Or are you angry? This, this, this passage is fascinating to me. I don't know of another passage in the Scripture where somebody had the audacity to command Jesus to do something. She said, she said Jesus, don't you see I'm doing everything alone? Tell her to help me. I mean, when you think about it, this is pretty. This is pretty brash, right? I mean, she just tell her to help me. Uh, she was angry, and and anger and bitterness comes in my life when I become proud, and everything revolves around me, and I think uh, nobody understands what I'm doing, and I get really irritated, and if I'm in the presence of Christ. That whole pride thing kind of fails, falls away, doesn't I walk in humility when I'm really before the Lord. And sometimes we get, we whine. You can almost hear it in Martha's voice, can't you? Lord, (laughs) do you not hear? Do you not know? There's nobody else. I alone am left a prophet in Israel, you know. Just whining. My, my wife, with our eight kids, you could understand this, uh, has a sign up above in her kitchen that says, no whining. No whining. She'll take the grandkids every once in a while and walk them in there and say, see that? Read that for me right there, right? No whining. You know what whining is? It's an indication I'm no longer grateful. I'm no longer grateful. Can you imagine... Standing in the presence of Christ and not being grateful. But when we're not intimate with the Lord, when we've lost intimacy with Christ, we lose that sweet, humble gratitude that says, I deserve nothing. Anything I have is a gift from God. Drawn away. A.W. Tozer said, A thousand distractions would woo us away from God. But if we are wise, we will sternly put them from us and make room for the king and take time to entertain him. Some things may be neglected with but little loss to the spiritual life, but to neglect intimacy with God is to hurt ourselves where we cannot afford it. The distraction, right? I want you to also notice in this passage that intimacy is the sole portal to what matters and lasts. You know, the World Wide Web is the most 
astounding thing to me. I still don't quite get it, you know. But it's just, I love it. I, I love the fact uh, I was watching something about Abraham Lincoln the other day, and I wanted to know something, so I went to the web. You know, everything on the web is true. And uh, so, but you can just find just, there are billions upon billions of bytes of information about almost anything. I've yet to Google something that I didn't get some kind of answer, right? It's, a, it's amazing. But it has to come through this portal. And if I'm not connected to that portal, I, I can't get into all this information. And, and this is the way intimacy with Christ is. If, if I'm not walking through that door, I don't receive all that he has for me. And Jesus says in this last verse, verse 42, Mary has chosen the good part that will not be taken away from her. That she, she is choosing the part that matters and the part that will last, that matters, and that will really, really last. And just notice with me some of the things we gain when we go through that portal. First of all, we gain relationship. If you lose men's applause, and we do a lot, intimacy gives you ultimate approval and love, right? I can, it doesn't take much, I can... I can be, you know, just going along in my life, and one person says something negative to me, it just throws me in a tailspin. You ever had that happen to you? You know, you think, uh, what's, who am I? What's going on in my life? And a hundred people can tell me, Bill, you're doing a great job. But when I get into the presence of the Lord, and the Lord speaks into my soul, I'm okay, right? I love what John Eldridge said in his book years ago, Wild at Heart. He said, ecstasy and delight are essential to the believer's soul. We are not meant to live without spiritual exhilaration. The believer is in spiritual danger if he allows himself to go for any length of time without tasting the love of Christ. And when Christ ceases to fill the heart with satisfaction... Now listen, listen to this last sentence. When Christ ceases to fill your heart with satisfaction, our souls will go in silent search of other lovers. Wow. Relationship. We also find there reality. I mean, even if circumstances cloud and confuse us, intimacy gives you perfect perspective from the one who sees the end from the beginning, right? You remember that story about Elijah, and one day the Syrians were coming after him, and Gehazi just got up to go get the morning paper, and he looked out, and the, and the, the horses and chariots of Syria were completely surrounding Elijah's uh, camp there, and he comes in just screaming and hollering, uh, Elijah, what are we going to do? And, and Elijah, who who was living in intimacy with with the Father. All he did was he said, Lord, open his eyes. Let let him see. I see it already. But Lord, just help him. Just give him perspective. And, and, And Gehazi went back out and he looked and surrounding the horses and chariots was another army, horses and chariots of fire. If you know the story, God brought an incredible victory that day. Why was Elijah Elijah not worried? He had perspective. He saw reality. 
And that's what, you know, I, I get so worried and bothered about so many things. But when I am walking in intimacy, I have perspective. I see what's real. I know what's good and right and what matters. And not only does it give us reality, it gives us adventure in the very best sense of that term. If life binds and confines you, intimacy restores your passion and calling from the one who knows who you really are, who you were created and designed to be. I mean, here are these guys, Peter, James, and John, and here's their life. They get up every morning, they eat their Wheaties, they go down to the Sea of Galilee, they throw their nets in, some days they get fish, some days they don't. They come home, clean the fish, mend the nets, go home, eat their evening supper, go to bed, get up the next morning, eat their Wheaties, you know, same drill over and over again. And it's a nice living, but Jesus knew that there was way, way more in Peter than that. Jesus knew that God had plans for James and John that were extraordinary. Just think if they had never connected with Christ. If they had never, if Jesus had walked up and said, follow me, and they said, nah, I don't think so. We'd have never known about their lives. We, we would have never seen the incredible adventure they went on, how their life changed the lives of us 2,000 years later. Still, their lives are still affecting us. And I want to tell you something. There's not, I could take Mason right here and Allie and go right down the row, every person, young and, and old, and just tell you something on the authority of God's word. God has more for you. He has more. I don't care what your past was. I don't care how old you are. You say, well, I'm, I'm kind of... No, listen. The greatest fruit is born over years of time where there's wisdom and life. God has stuff for us. Plans of good and not evil some of the days of our life. Is that what he says? Plans of good and not evil what? All the days of your life. Adventure, and then alignment. Even if the world, flesh, and devil sidetrack you, and they do, intimacy draws you back to live for God's glory. You ever had a tire out of alignment? Sometimes the tires are like this, sometimes they're like this, and, and when, you, when your tires are sitting on your car like this or like this, it's a bumpy ride, right? I mean, it's just not good. It's just harder to get everywhere takes longer, and it just wears you out, right? Certainly wears those tires out. And that's what happens with us. We just get out of alignment with the Lord. We're not in alignment. The other day, I, I, was, uh, I was just out of alignment. <laughs> that's no other way to say it. And I was so bugged and whining and griping, and, and I came home, and I was just, I was short with my wife, and and I just thought, what is going on? And finally, uh, the Lord just said, you just, you're going to keep going like this or are you going to talk to me about this? Okay, and I opened the scripture. The first thing I read in the proverb for the day uh, was exactly what I needed. The Lord said, turn to my reproof. I will pour out my spirit on you and I'll make my words known to you. But Bill, I've told you something. Turn to my reproof. I said, okay, Lord, I repent. And all of a sudden, I was just back in alignment. And you know, when you're in alignment, things go smooth. 
They work better. They get accomplished in half the time because God's economy is way better than our economy. But you only find that in the presence of the Lord because everything flows from the presence of the Lord. And one more thing, there's effectiveness, right? I mean, even if you're weak, and we all are, intimacy unleashes the God of the universe through you. My, my uh, guys and I are in, in Little Rock are, are teaching right now through John 14, 15, and 16. Oh, my goodness. We're trying to memorize it together, uh, which is uh, as, a, as a team of guys. And, uh, and, and it has just blown me away. I've preached from that many, many times. But, you know, Jesus says, look, abide in me, and, uh, and I'll abide in you. I'm going to do that. And ask whatever you wish. It'll be done for you. And by the way, let me just tell you one thing. This is really important for you to understand, Jesus says, of all the things he could have said. Apart from me, you can do something, a few good things. What did he say? You can do nothing. Nothing? Nothing? Yeah, that means you can't raise your family right, apart from me. You cannot handle your finances properly, apart from me. You can't think right. You can't be the right husband, the right wife, the right grandparent, the right son, the right daughter, apart from me. So you have to abide. That means to remain in a stable or fixed position. We're pulling away, distracted, pulling away, pulling away. And we wonder why we're not bearing fruit. You have to abide in me and let my words abide in you. He's talking about an intimate, personal relationship. Who has plans for my life, for my family, for this church, for my church? Only God. And if I'm not walking in intimacy with him, I'll never know those plans. I'll make up some plans. I'll come up with some stuff. You know, we can build the Tower of Babel. We're good at this. They won't be God's plans. So we see how critical this is because everything flows from the presence of the Lord. And so you say, Bill, okay, how do I, how do I get, get this? Well, can I, can I say this just as simply, try to say it as simply as Jesus said it and illustrated it? Intimacy comes, finally, through an invitation and a choice. Of all the things about God, one of the most amazing to me is God's willingness to invite me in. I mean, you don't know me, but I know me. But you know you. (laughs) And I don't deserve to be in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Can I hear an amen to that? We just don't. Had it not been... For the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, paying the penalty that I should pay for all of eternity so I could be brought back into relationship with Jesus Christ, I couldn't even hope to come into the presence of a holy God. The Bible says he has purer eyes than to behold iniquity. But because of the cross, and that I've trusted in the cross and in Christ 
to cleanse me. I can come into his presence. But the amazing thing is, he keeps inviting me. And Jesus said, come to me. Anybody in here weak or heavy laden? Anybody weary, just tired? Jesus says, don't come to a program. I've got a new program for you. You know, come to this cool plan I've got. No, he says, come to me. Come to me. To me. Because everything flows from the presence of the Lord. So come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. That's a, one of 7,000 promises he makes. If any man's thirsty, he stood up one day and cried out. Let him come unto me, and he who believes in me, out of his innermost being, John 7 says, shall flow rivers of living water. This matters. This will last. It will feed people. It will nourish people. It will nourish you. It will cleanse you. It will refresh you. And he spoke this of the Spirit that was about to come after he would be glorified. John 7, 37 through 39. He says in uh, verse... 37 of chapter 7, come and drink, come and drink. I mean, over and over, Jesus said, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. What do you not get about this? Come to me. And then he says to Martha, to illustrate this, Mary, you're worried, bothered, angry, whining. You're just out of it. I know you love me, but you're just out of it and you're missing Mary, here's how she said it in verse 42. Mary has chosen the good part, which will never be taken away from her. And what was that? What, you say, well, what did she do? What did she choose? And you find up in verse 37, 38, Mary was seated at the Lord's feet, listening, listening. When's the last time? You made it through a whole day just sitting at the Lord's feet. And you say, well, I don't have a day to spend, you know, up on a mountain. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about why you went through the work of your day. While you were raising your kids, while you were turning the widgets at work, doing whatever you do. When was the last time you could say, you know, all day long, the Lord and I had this, this running conversation. This is what praying without ceasing is. And I was just sitting at his feet and I was all day long. I've been listening to his words. This is how Jesus operated, by the way. He said, he said, I never do anything as a man. But what I hear my father speak and whatever he says, that's what I say. Whatever he does, that's what I do. Now, how could that happen? Because he was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. And I'm not talking about just the nights he went away and prayed all night, which we need those nights, or the times in the Garden of Gethsemane. All day long, Jesus was walking in intimacy with a father. And he says, now, what happens now is when you see me, you see the father. Because he's just living his life For me, and as I've done this, I want you to do this. And he says in John 14, the things that I have done, you will do also. And even greater works than these will you do. And whatever you ask 
in my name, that will I do, so the Father will be glorified in the Son. I'm telling you how this works, Jesus says. I'm, I'm showing you how to live a life that matters and that lasts. And it's a posture. Notice Mary's posture, seated. It's this indication she was needy, right? She was humble. She was believing. She was sitting at Jesus' feet because she obviously believed that she didn't have the answers that she needed. I need Jesus. I can't make it through today without Jesus. I need him. I can't think right. I can't talk right. I can't. My attitudes are not right if I am not walking in intimacy with Jesus. What a precious thing that he invites us. Amen. It invites us to literally sit at his feet and listen. And listening indicates a willingness to respond to what the Lord would say. It's an invitation. And what I want to tell you this morning is the Lord is extending that invitation to us this week. Your pastor and leaders have sensed we need a special time to be renewed. Anybody in here need to be renewed? (laughs) Well, I do. Where do we get renewed? Come to me, Jesus said. Because everything flows from the presence of the Lord. And... It's a choice. Mary, verse 42, has chosen. Do you know that there are a lot of people who never choose intimacy with Christ? They could care less. For a lot of different reasons, they've been deceived by the enemy who loves to steal, kill, and destroy their life, their time, their days, their family, their future, even Christian people. He loves to distract. He loves to destroy But Mary chose the feet of Jesus. J. Oswald Sanders said, Each of the disciples was as close to Jesus as he chose to be, for the Son of God has no favorites. With him there is no caprice or favoritism. Their relationship with him, Sanders said, was a result of their own choice, conscious or unconscious. It is a sobering thought that we too are as close to Christ as we really choose to be. It would seem, he goes on to say, that admission to the inner circle of deepening intimacy with God is the outcome of deep desire. Only those who count such intimacy a prize worth sacrificing anything else for are likely to attain it. If other intimacies are more desirable to us, we will not gain entry into the inner circle through that door. And then he says, in conclusion, the place on Jesus' breast is still vacant and open to any who are willing to pay the price of deepening intimacy. We are now, and we will be in the future, only as intimate with God as we really choose to be. As we choose to be. So, I think the invitation this morning...
from the Lord, and I do believe there is an invitation, is to come to Him this week. Just how I... You're on the edge. I, I talked yesterday. We had supper last night, Mason and I, and he told me about, about just where you are as a church and what's happening. This is a very exciting time, really, and a, and a, a, a very wonderful opportunity with a future. But it must be driven by, consumed by, empowered by the presence of Christ. And guess who makes that choice? You. Not just your pastor. He has to make his choice. Allie has to make her choice. But you have to make your choice. Am I going to consider intimacy with Christ and his presence in my life, my family, my home, my church, more important than anything else? And I will sacrifice anything to gain him. So I wonder... If we could just bow our heads for a moment. And I'm going to ask the team to come and just play quietly. But here's, here's the invitation. It's going to be maybe a little different than we might normally do. I'd like to invite any of you who just feel prompted this morning to say, I want this in my life. And I want it in our church. And, and I, I want to invite you if, you, if you want a deeper intimacy with Christ, want to know more of His presence, want the church, your family to know more of His presence, I'm going to invite you just to stand up in a moment when we stand and just come to the front, just come to the altar and, and just stand here. You may want to kneel, but you can just stand and just remain for a moment because I'd like for us to pray all together and I'd like to lead us in that moment of prayer. So, Father, I pray you have spoken to us. You're here this morning. And I pray, Father, we would choose the good part, which will never be taken away. I pray even this week, just the decision to come tonight and, and Monday night, just, just the decision to pursue the Lord each day is a choice. And I pray, Father, you do hugely significant, things that matter, things that would last, fruit that would remain this week. And you can do it because, Lord, when you, when you show up and we're in your presence, things change. So I'm going to ask you all, just with heads bowed, just to stand. Would you all stand, everybody in the room together? And if you just want the presence of the Lord and you say, Bill, I, I want that in my life in deeper ways. I'm going to ask you to just come and stand here at the altar, and we're going to pray together in just a moment. Just come on. Amen. I want His presence. Maybe some of you are here and you say, I've never had His presence. I don't even know Christ. I just I want the presence of Christ in my life. I need Him. It's just a statement of humility, isn't it? I need the Lord. I need Him in fresh ways in my life. I... It's interesting that Jesus sometimes called people to take a step. Come, follow me, He said. 
And there's something in that step that's just a statement of faith, isn't it? I believe you have what I need, and I'm choosing you. So we wait just a moment longer. Anybody else? I wonder as we're here at this altar if we could just pray together for a moment. And I wonder if you would begin by any statement of confession, just you and the Lord right there, of, of repentance or confession. Lord, I've been distracted. Lord, I've been drawn away. There's something between my soul and the Savior. Something's not right. And Lord, I just want to admit it. And I ask you to speak to me this week about that. Would you just begin right there, right now, and just private prayer? And would you say what what Peter said that Reagan read earlier? Lord, you have the words of eternal life. You have everything that I need. Just, Just make that confession of faith. Lord, I want to come to you because I know without you I'm nothing. I have nothing. I am nothing. I will receive nothing, Lord, apart from you. And I need you. Just tell him that for a moment. The Bible says if we draw near to the Lord, guess what? He will draw near to us. And the nearness of God is our good. And so, Father, I thank you for all of these people here at this altar. It's a beautiful sight. I thank you, Father, that you meet people who choose you. You've always done that. You've done it since the beginning of time. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, in profound Ways more than we could imagine or think that you would meet with us this week. I pray, Father, that, that choices would be made this week by these dear people at this altar, by all of us, Lord, to do whatever we need to do to tune out the other voices of the world so we can hear your voice. Or obvious things that we're doing that are grieving you. I pray that we just repent of them and lay them down. Lord, just, we just let them go, realizing that your presence is more valuable than that. And I pray, Father, that you would renew the people at this altar. I pray, Father, you would, you would give us a reviving. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you, in you? And so, Lord, we choose what matters and last, and we ask that you would meet us today, this afternoon, tonight, in profound ways as we just open up our heart and say, Lord Jesus, come in power and speak to me. And I wonder if you would say this prayer together, all of us here at this altar. Here's the prayer about this week. Lord Jesus, speak to me. Let's say that together. Lord Jesus, Speak to me one more time. Lord Jesus, speak to me. And that's the prayer of our hearts. In Jesus' precious name, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.